Welcome everyone to the first episode of Vote, Best of All Time. We are a movie podcast where we'll go through a uh, classic bracket and we're going to decide the all-time greatest movie. It's a 32 movie bracket. We just pick our favorite films and we're saying those are just literally the best films. We got some legitimately good films here. We got some we got some weird uh, picks. We got Real Steel. Real Steel fans, raise the roof. This is the podcast for you. So yeah, yeah welcome one and all to Boat. Art is subjective, but our opinions are not. This is the definitive list of the 32 greatest movies of all time. It, yeah, it is. We, uh, we have finally decided. Okay, so I am Ryan. Uh, <laughs> I'm Walter. And I'm Grant. And we are. We are Boat. Three people we, that we are Boat. that's that's our our i am group moment and we're gonna make cinematic reference we are both yeah gardens of the galaxy did not make the list no it did not make no no no, it did not couple marvels though but let's see wally what movies did make the list especially for today Oh gosh, I wish I had them written down somewhere. Wait, wait, no, like, <laughs> like what, what? Okay, oh, well, is it worth setting up the? We should mention, yeah, give, all giving the giving folks the the framework of the bracket. Um, maybe or... like we'll mention all the movies and then say today's bracket, and at the end of today's episode, mention what the next one will and be. that can also be something we you know post on our social medias and just reference there that would probably be True. easiest rather okay. than just listing off 32 30 movie titles <laughs> would be like 10 movies each the 10 movies we picked yes i i don't i don't think i think part of the fun would be maybe not mentioning what <laughs> you're doing what the heck the movies are gonna be yeah okay. exactly it's like it's a bit of a surprise. It's like, okay, up first, we have A Knight's Tale versus The Ten Commandments. It's like, oh yeah, that's God. the episode, guys. One's the greatest movies of all time, and the other one's A Knight's Tale. I, I the- like that. Hey, wow. <laughs> you better step off because I am going to come at you with some AP English bullshit, and I'm going to prove okay. to you that Which- unquestionably, <laughs> The Knight's Tale is the, the best movie here. Uh, I, I, I mean, I've the got, more entertaining movie, but I've got hours of research to back this up, Wally. Oh, objectively, okay. art is subjective. Our opinions are not. This is one hundred percent true. I, I, I'm very confident in that. Um, but yeah, Quinn, I like your idea. Let's just take people in blind because most of these yeah. matchups are going to be. Uh, oh, they can trust a, us. You guys can trust us. Thirteen or an R rated podcast. Just so I know. Fuck. All right, <laughs> Wally has made the decision for us. We get one F bomb. It's PG thirteen. It'll be PG thirteen, but I don't think those ratings work in the uh, podcast sphere. But you know, and those ratings are bullshit. You know, for example, you look at Ten Commandments uh, rated G. One of the first scenes of the movie <laughs> is a mother and child being slaughtered full on camera, blood effects, yeah. and everything. Yeah. That part was kind of funny. G-rated guy, movie, like, my ass. His but they didn't swear, Grant. They didn't swear, and you didn't see titties. So uh, <laughs> that's true. There was a freaking orgy at the end of this movie, and no titties. Uh, can you have an orgy without titties? Can you really? They did in the fifties, <laughs> apparently. Back in the day, it was all the allure of oh my god, what's that? Maybe like, you could see very a titty. Thin Just maybe. Linen. Very thin mm-hmm. linen clothes, just barely covering a breast. 
All right. Well, tell you what, as we've kind of uh, sort of started out with the the Ten Commandments, how about we lead off with that? Uh, Ryan Wally would one of you care to introduce the Ten Commandments, and I can take the Knight's Tale at the end since that's kind of my ringer. Wally, did you prepare anything? (laughs) I I got some notes. I could do my best to if not if you guys want want me just to introduce them because i will let you you know ahead of time wally like all these notes i i watched two making of i watched more making of documentaries than the actual length of the ten commandments oh are you serious well yeah yeah, i watched one that was like on youtube (laughs) (laughs) like why would you why would you put yourself through that i it was actually fascinating yeah if it wasn't up against a knight's tale, Ten Commandments could certainly yeah, have you a, a bring deep run in the bracket. One. But we should mention a knight's tale. That's Grant's number one pick. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, we are opening strong. This uh, first round is our first and thirty-second seed. I think is the the way it's labeled on the bracket. So it's yeah, the seeding on the bracket doesn't really make a lot of sense. So how it worked out is, yeah, a knight's tale is Grant's number one seed, and um is the movie that kind of started this podcast too so yes it should be number one we ended up watching that and that was kind of the uh nexus for this podcast but um yeah the ten commandments ended up being uh we had a little bit a tiny bit of overlap to the point where there was 29 movies from all of our three lists so then we each got a uh third party yeah yeah third party pick um grant got a recommendation from his lovely wife walter got his recommendation from his lovely dad and then and I so the did you popular, <laughs> the most popular movie of last year because that's oh, how yeah. things are fair and it's not that i don't have anybody in my life that i you know understand the opinion of and want want the opinion of movie wise but uh i guess the 10 commandments uh 1956 it was cecil b demille's last movie before he died it was uh charlton heston in the lead yul brenner is the main villain um a really very cool um i guess like you know grant i don't know if you want to talk about this but it's kind of it was like a pin or not the pinnacle but it was very um it's toted as being a very you know early movie big budget big setting you know throw a bunch of people at it i mean just the sets slash the amount of extras they used in this plus yeah animals crazy um yeah it definitely is from the old world of cinema uh well yeah and it's one of the most successful movies of all time you know it it cost um going into it they didn't have a budget uh they were going to spend whatever it cost to make this movie especially because they knew they were going to have big special effects by the end of it they spent about 13.2 million in 1956 and then grossed 122 million all about which accounting for inflation today would have been about 1.15 billion dollars so you know accounting for inflation avatar (laughs) one of the most successful movies of all time not our generation but the generation who you know had us yeah i I was gonna say yeah when we were deciding this list ryan and i both realized this is our dad's like favorite film 
So this is like a boomer classic well, right here. I, I will say I, I wouldn't say it's my dad's favorite film, but he did. My family. This did is my dad's favorite film. <laughs> my dad. My family did go to Florida this year for uh, the Easter slash spring break time. And the one thing he told me when he was coming back, he said, can you make sure to record the Ten Commandments? Because I have to watch awesome. it on Easter. <laughs> Um, and so, yeah, it, it really is something that our parents grew up with. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's done a lot for cinema, I would say. And, uh, just yeah, yeah. your scope of it, I, the fact that it was, yeah, Cecil B. DeMille's last movie is huge. Um, not to mention it was one of the first ever reboots. Um, you know, this, yeah. this is, is technically a reboot of the 19, I think 1926, maybe 1923. 20s. Yeah, I think it's 1923. Nine, uh, version of the, the Ten Commandments, I believe also with Cecil B. DeMille yep. as uh, a, a role player in that one. Um, yeah, he was the director, yeah, in that one. And I think he wrote that one because that one was, I think it was shorter. Or no. Yeah, well, obviously it'd be shorter because it's freaking... Yeah, from 30 years earlier. But, and uh, I find both of these movies incredibly interesting in a way that, well, I... I think they're both grand. I mean, they're both period pieces. They they have a lot of overlap, but I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't know what categories you want to start like breaking down within the movies. Well, well, I'd love to to maybe just go over uh, a little bit more some of the 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 framework or or background of the Ten Commandments, okay. just because, like you mentioned, you know, this is a movie that predates a lot of our generation who I imagine will be the largest <laughs> group of, of maybe our Gotta listeners. get them to watch this classic. Um, but it, because it, it has some some very interesting and uh, deliberate direction decisions. For example, it opens like a play or a musical. You know, the first scene is an overture. It has a... a it has yeah. an intermission. It's got Very a, a narrative framework of uh, Cecil B. DeMille himself introducing the story and letting you know, hey, mm -hmm. this is going to be the the story of Moses, the story of uh, people freeing themselves from bondage. And so it from the, the very beginning, it almost feels um, like uh, a play, like uh, being told a story as, yeah. as much as it does a film, um, which I, I don't know if that's uh relative to the time or a, a very unique directive decision well I, yeah i think it i think he wanted it to be an epic he wanted it to be like homeric or like these these grand beautiful i mean that i think a lot of the um directors during that time really wanted it to wanted to have this epic stuff i mean you have I can't remember where, like, uh, Lawrence of Arabia and that sort of, I think that was a little bit yeah, later. but that's a, like, around the same time. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that, I think that Hollywood at that time really wanted, like, we just didn't, there wasn't a lot of technology. So it was like, okay, well, we're still going to make it epic. We're still going to make it feel like it's these ancient stories um, that are put to text and are, like, mystical in a way that draws people in and makes people i don't know i guess get interested in religion i mean you know 56 it's it it, it is a time where you're you're getting people coming back from war i think there is a bit of a disillusionment among the american people just because of the horrors of world war one and then korea um so i 
go ahead. Yeah. Greg. Oh no, and I was going to say just on the the religious acts aspect, there were a lot of challenges with regards to that as well. As Moses is one of the few religious figures to feature prominently in three major world religions. I mean, he's huge in Christianity, in Islam, and especially in in Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, the this Ten Commandments movie was largely written off uh, the Christian biblical accounts, uh, along with some other um, later resources that came uh, written three to five hundred years after uh, when those portions of the Bible were specifically penned uh, or uh, uh, supposed to have been penned. Um, and, and there is, uh, that, that did also pose a challenge for me in, in the modern day, uh, when I was trying to review and help understand how I felt about it, um, whether to, uh, view it strictly as a film and trying to, and try to divorce it from its historical and religious context, um, to try and, uh, whether it need to be included because especially watching a lot of these making of documentaries that was clearly at the forefront of Cecil's mind. A lot of these actors mind, um, they were very passionate about the project because it, it seemed to hit a, something close to home for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, going back to like the text texts and stuff like that, um, in doing my research between both of the movies, it seemed like anachronism was the word, the like buzzer word. <laughs> like, holy cow, the number of times I read anachronistic anachronism for A Knight's Tale, but there was actually backlash from towards the Ten Commandments too, because there was stuff in there that they're like, this isn't accurate from the Bible. But yeah, like you said, Grant, he did pull from text outside of the Bible to kind of flesh it out that also told that story. Um, and it was slightly different. So like, it's funny that we have two stories that we're looking at today that, you know, one of them is just completely anachronistic, like you have people playing queen songs through trumpets and uh, it sets the tone. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you have these, you have, and like, you just have to completely forego it, but a big issue with the 10 commandments, which I mean, as somebody who has been to church and all this sort of stuff, uh, like we, we've heard this story multiple times. I think all three of us have, um, there was stuff in there that like, I never would have questioned its validity as a, I think it was pretty, pretty good at demonstrating the story that I have been told about Moses. And I think the majority of people have. So I think it is kind of funny that people are are just such sticklers. sticklers. And and the thing with the Bible is each version of Christianity has their own. The Bible is at this point, basically fan fiction where each group took their, their favorite bits, uh, did their, the little parts that they liked out of it. So um, we have hot Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I heard when they were doing research for this film, like, I mean, in the Bible, they don't really explore the first 30 years of Moses's life. And we get that jump from him to a baby in this movie to him as an adult. So I guess they had to kind of build the backstory of him, you know, being a prince of Egypt and everything. And the biggest like comparison point for this movie for me is another take on the Ten Commandments called The Prince of Egypt. And I kept on thinking about that movie, waiting for scenes from that movie to happen in this. Yeah, I don't know. There were like parts at the beginning um, where I was confused who was like related to who. They were like very specific about that. I had to like pause the film to like do a little research. I'm like, oh, that's not his mom. That's like 
the woman who's fallen in love with him now because there's just like a big jump cut at the beginning or <laughs> with yeah. no um, indication that it's a time yeah. skip whatsoever they they take time to introduce a narrator later in the film and like really walk you through and explain stuff but in the first 10 minutes there's like i was so freaking confused. an unexplained war and then like uh 15 year time jump with no description of who's what or a way to indicate well, that time has passed look very similar like unless they're they're distinct caricatures yes, like the ethiopians yeah. uh and that sort of stuff the, the majority of the women just look the same like <laughs> yeah. i mean uh yeah. charlton heston versus yule brenner versus like it, it's very apparent they who's look completely who, different but yeah. yes it's i i can i definitely got everything mixed up as to like okay who who is this person? And, you know, obviously, yeah, there are, there are, um, yeah, it, yeah, I, I totally agree, Wally. It did get very confusing off the bat as to like, cause they just, yeah, throw you into it. Um, like the way it begins, it kind of felt like going to Sunday school again. They're like, here, let's tell you the story. Like they told the story <laughs> of like creation and then they just like jumped, yeah. you know, towards Moses and everything. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know, the thing about this movie is like it it betrays itself like this is it it goes about saying like this is an important movie it knows it's an important movie and it also is like wants to tell yeah we're going to show you like maybe the best movie you've ever seen and um i think yeah they did a very good job at that on all accounts yeah, Quinn, um, one, uh, a couple of words that I've heard thrown around uh, a lot in our discussions of this, and I think um, frequently get misattributed to movies. You mentioned things like grand and epic, and I think this is one of the few instances of watching a film where I truly feel that way. Even mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings, with which I adore, there's um, the way a lot of these uh, long shots are filmed, especially with the the thousands of extras. I think um, right near the beginning of the film in that that portion you were talking about, uh, Wally, uh, introducing him as, as sort of a, a prince of Egypt. Um, and there's the woman who gets trapped under the Sphinx and the water girl has to run and go yeah, get help from Moses. Shot. And it is just one long shot yeah, of her sprinting across this. But, and and the, the scope and the 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 sense of scale that you get right out the the bat with this film thanks to shots like that um truly lend a a sense of epicness grandness that i think even from modern films like lord of the rings or avengers um you know like the the infinity saga they may be epics but this was truly epic it felt vast it felt well, grand because, yeah and i think very, you know yeah, the one like, thing i i mean wally's background is the fight between kong and godzilla in the newest movie <laughs> and you know you you're not seeing all the little yeah like you said extras on that boat you know being impacted by this sort of stuff in the marvel movies you're usually getting a huge shot where you know you'll see the 10 main people like at, at the last one of Endgame when people are coming out of uh, the portals and then you just see a mass of bad guys and Thanos like there's no there's no distinction in between each of those groups or in between each of those uh you know rendered people whereas this like yes you're just it's kind of intimate in that you're following this one woman as she weaves her way through it but 
as she weaves her way through, she's weaving her way through living people going about a task that they were told to do for this shot. I, yeah, I think the Lord of the Rings, like, yeah, it's crazy. Another movie that is on our list is Lord of the Rings, the two towers. And in that scene at Helm's Deep, yes, you get a couple of different shots of individual orcs smashing, like when they're about to charge the wall, smashing their lances and shouting. But for the most part, you're not seeing like it still is just a lot of cgi rendered things you're going in like a helicopter shot over them once they get in the wall you it it is reduced a little bit more and you do get a bit more of that epic feel but yeah i feel like for every single shot because they had the limitations that they had you know obviously there's probably extras that were just reused like every they probably only had, like you said, a thousand people and they reused them for every single shot, but they dressed them slightly different or maybe they didn't, but it was, they felt more human than CGI rendered stuff does. And yeah, felt more living. So it, yeah, it definitely is epic. Um, I know these sets were actually repurposed um, from another movie too, which is kind of funny, but I think that allowed them to yeah, they bought them for a steal, and then they also added some more stuff. So I think, I think they, yeah, they were really adamant about scope and you know building insane sets. Now that that yeah. some of the sets, keep in mind, a lot of this was also filmed on Egypt. site in Egypt. In Egypt, yeah. You know, where to get to Egypt at the time, it was a a four day flight that would require ten refueling stops. Or an ocean liner that, you know, was uh, more than a week of travel. And so getting all these people down there, the, I mean, your, your talk of extras, I think that is the most impressive thing in this film to me, yeah. is the direction of the extras is fantastic. I, you know, I don't know how you coordinate that many <laughs> people in such a large space in such an effective way, but my god it it was a uh, a truly impressive feat. well i we did almost see a duck murdered uh pretty grievously uh, <laughs> as the people were racing that was dinner yes, racing through the uh parted red sea um so keep an eye out for that i i wish i had my sheet that had the times because i i tracked it pretty close because it looked pretty nasty <laughs> like the duck goes straight it's like yeah animals definitely probably died a lot of them. But I, yeah, I <laughs> really bros. liked the, because they used the, I guess there's Egyptian chariot riders or, you know, racers or whatever. And they actually used them as Ramses's, Ramses uh, charioteers. So like you, when you look at them, I mean, we can talk a little bit about the whitewashing, um, but yep. it, like all the main characters are obviously white, but then you see them with these people driving the chariots and it's like, Oh, those are clearly like actual Egyptians because, and then you see it in the credits. Oh, they were, yeah. Egyptian charioteers. So I, yeah, I, I think they pulled a lot of resources even from the local community to flesh this out. And even those little details were really great. Yeah. I heard there was like about 8,000 extras in this movie. And yeah. So when they were in Egypt, a lot of, yeah, the, in that great exodus scene you see those are a lot of locals they used for that and to go yeah even more into that scope like even yeah watching it now and i think ryan that was a great comparison with the latest avengers that big battle scene how that even kind of feels a little flat compared to just 
having 8,000 people all coordinated to just move forward in a straight line, like that is just an epic feat in and of itself. Um, and having just the right music playing to it too. Like another thing I listened to in uh, one of the behind the scenes is um, the guy who was composing the music for this, he was, uh, he was a new guy uh, for this. And when he composed the music for, um, for the great exodus, he played it very slow. And Cesar de la Mille was like, no, it needs to be faster. This, you know, this is a big happy scene. If it's faster, it makes it look like they're moving faster. I don't know, watching this all years later, like that still felt kind of weird to me that like they're using super happy music at that point. I guess like it works for the most part, but I was like, each, they got I free feel, from slavery, yeah. Walter. I don't know if there's <laughs> any more reason to be happy. But it's like that campy, like 50s happy music where it doesn't feel quite as sincere. I don't know. I feel like if this movie was made nowadays, you maybe would have some like somber yet like hopeful music. Yeah, a little bit leaving. more dramatic. But um, yeah, I, I want to jump back because I think, Grant, you and I might have had similar thoughts. But I know you were going to say something. What were you going to say? Oh, nothing. I, I was going to, to tie, uh, try and pivot off of the, the Ramsey's comment. But oh. if you're still on topic, please well, yeah, let's talk about Ramsey's. No, well, I, was gonna say, I think that Exodus scene is so perfect to demonstrate humanity because, you know, obviously, yeah, if you have 4,000 people lined up and it's like, okay, move from over there, move a quarter of a mile towards us. And then 4,000 people trying to get them organized to do anything in a reasonable way, it's going to be chaos. That's insane. Like humanity yeah. well, is chaos. And yeah, you don't get that in the Avengers movies, like I said, because you have 10 people and then thousands upon CGI people that are programmed to just run straight in a line because it's just designed that way because it's easier to design them not to have personalities and just be running as a big horde. Like you get, I mean, the the duck almost getting murdered or like the cart breaking and then having them struck. Like there was things that were happening that felt so much more human because it was just chaotic. Mm -hmm. Um, that they were just like yeah, little they, moments. Well, there there yeah, was 8,000 extras relatable. in that scene alone, not in the whole it's film absurd. that one, the Exodus scene, 8,000 yeah. extras, you know, that's so many people, they couldn't shout action. Yeah. They would get people going with a gunshot and like <laughs> semaphore right, flag yeah. signals. That was how they coordinated 8,000 different extras um, for one scene. Well, art simulating life. I mean, that's what they did in the movie too, is they had the flags <laughs> going to get that obelisk stood up. So, you know, it's good to know, but <laughs> I mean, also, if you want to, start, there was a bunch of gunshots there. If too. you want to start some chaos, <laughs> let's just shoot off a gun. Ramses just yeah brings out a gun in the middle of the story. Yes. Well, and we've <laughs> we've talked about the extras some. Let's let's pivot and talk about the main cast because I do have to say I think Charleston Heston, who is Moses, and Yul Brenner, who is Ramses, were just leagues above the entire rest <laughs> of the cast. They like they acted circles with the exception of uh, maybe the, the gentleman who played the, the Pharaoh who I've got somewhere in my page of notes, but whose name escapes me. I, I think pretty much Ramsey's the rest the of the cast yeah. felt extraordinarily yeah, no, overacted, yes. like to to operatic, painful extremes. That, like, yeah, that's what I loved about like, yeah. yes, like you said, Charleston Hessen and Yul Brenner is that like 
weirdly they weren't doing the acting of the time they felt so real and part of it i mean yo brenner just walked around like flexing the entire time so i mean it was it was like he was just a ball of intimidation and he didn't really speak all that much but yeah you didn't get that operatic like you know mid-atlantic accent oh like big sweeping you did get that from the women but the conflict yeah which was just pervasive throughout the movie was was so good because these two characters felt so real. Well, and they they felt their interactions were tense. Yeah. My favorite scene in the whole movie, I think the best scene by far is is right near the start in the first 15 20 minutes when uh Ramses and Ramses the 1st come to visit Moses building that frill, city by the way. and Ramses is is uh Oh, it's a uh, Seti the 1st oh, by the Seti. way. Yeah. excuse yeah, right. me sorry mm-hmm. um where uh ramsey's um as Seti comments on the town ramsey's keeps putting items on the scale and then moses comes that over really and good. and talks about you know blood and brick and puts it on his end of the scale and and tips right? the whole thing there it is it is so um so well performed and polite but tense and challenge like it was yeah. easily the the best scene in the whole movie and um really sucked me and i i in general i felt the the beginning the first maybe hour and a half of the film um was uh not only more interesting but just the the, the special effects were stronger i don't know if it was a budget problem or an issue with cecil's heart attack towards yeah. the end of the film but you know it, it just that first hour and a half was um truly impressive i yeah i'll agree with you grant i thought it it was way more engaging than the rest of the film and i think it was because the conflict between ramesses and moses was more at the forefront there mm-hmm. at the beginning of the film and then it's like at the intermission then you know you bring god more into it and now he's just like he's a man on a mission and ramesses is just like an obstacle that needs to be taken down it doesn't feel as personal anymore he's like he's just well i mean it is personal but he's like it seems unreal he's doing it for a grander yeah sense it, it's interesting because i think it it takes away some of moses's agency and i think for the purpose of making a biblical film showing the the power of god which was very much the focus of it which i can respect it the, the second half of the film does a good job of doing that but what i appreciated about the first half and what i think a lot of modern audiences look for reasons why like finding dory doesn't fare as well as finding nemo um, is wow. the agent? Well, like, Where is this going? No, hang on. no, just it's the agency <laughs> no, of the main just character. Got canceled, Grant. I don't think we need. <laughs> yeah, it's well, no, because in the, in the beginning we are watching Moses uh, struggle and try and be a good man and come to terms with his parentage and confront a system that doesn't he doesn't um, respect or buy into anymore. He has to challenge yeah. all the things he's done in the past, and it is very much Moses. I, against himself and the system in the second half it is god versus ramses which yes. is yeah. also good but not what i fell in love with at the start of the film it's not as interesting it's not as personal it's just like that's where all the grand aspects of this movie come into play so well, yeah it becomes a little less interesting and i i would way. say i i think th- i i uh, completely agree but i would say that the special effects in the first half were fairly non-existent like it was mostly just miniature work whereas i think a lot of like the the 
cl- the clouds being created as he separates or parts the Red Sea, the smoke, the green smoke that comes up and kills people. That was really I, cool. Like, that felt like a horror that's movie. That's the thing is, that like, the, I and I totally agree with you. Yeah, it is a God versus Ramses. Moses is just kind of the catalyst. Um, but I or the tool, but yeah, I I think the special effects in the latter half of the movie I liked more, but it it does come at the cost of, you know, the vendetta sort of war of the roses, you know, battle of wits sort of thing or battle of you know, speech sort of thing that happens in the beginning. I will say, it is ironic that Grant, you say that you like that half of it because I think it relates to a Knight's Tale really well in the fact that it's a guy who he masquerades as a knight, but then he has to come back to his roots and he has to accept that. And in the end, he's rewarded for accepting his life as a pauper and is elevated to the level of, you know, knight in the same way that Moses is kind of elevated to this level of biblical hero um, because he casts off these trappings of false you know godliness or false like nobility so i it is kind of funny to me that grant the thing you like is the stuff that actually directly correlates to a knight's tale in a way um but yeah i i enjoy the the personal journeys i think and and there is um what started as a strong fascinating personal journey of moses uh, by the end of it had sort of, um, lost its, I, I don't know, it, it lo- felt like it lost its focus. Um, you know, I, I really think it, this could have either been, uh, two films or I, I don't know. I, I wish there would have been a little more, uh, liberal editing involved. Um, cause I, I, I think there is enough uh, fat on this that you could cut this three hour, 40 some minute movie down to uh, yeah, it's like the Snyder cut, you know, a, a tighter, even just 245. Have you guys seen the Snyder cut? Wally, I think you watch it. Right? I have so it. How, how would you compare right. it to? Or like Endgame? I think we've all seen Endgame. It's like that's another, like, what, three hour movie? Like, well, I, guess I we mean, this definitely that, feels but... like a. Yeah, like, again, like, it's like a play where it's like a two-act structure where it's like in the modern day, yeah, this would be two movies. Like, the movie would have ended with him coming down um, from Mount Sinai, and that's the end of part one, and then, yeah, part two would be everything else. But would it even, I like, I would cut it as Moses is banished. Yeah, not Sinai. Sinai's at the end, isn't it? Sinai's where he gets the tablets. He also, that's where he meet, sees the burning bush. I think that that's... I believe is also at Mount Sinai. He just, yeah, he just so. loves going up there. <laughs> I, I don't think... No, burning, <laughs> burning bush is just, on Mount Horeb. Yeah, it's just in a random... Is what? It's a random... Ma- Mount Horeb. A random mountain in exile. See, I thought it was Mount Sinai because they're like, well, yeah, no one can go up there. Like, that's where that's where God is at. And but that, that would make sense. Like, that's where he goes at the end, too. But that's I thought it was the same. No, because the loca- okay. the whole point is that they had to traverse past the Red Sea to get to the land of milk and honey and where Mount Sinai mm. is. So mm. Moses had, like, none gotcha. of the Jewish people had at that point been to the land of milk and honey slash where Mount Sinai was. Now, granted, they won't ever get to the milk and honey for, what, 40 years just wandering in the desert? Um, 
So that freaking sucks. But um, <laughs> yeah, I. And Moses gets to see it, but God's like, nope. Yeah, like what at the very end, he's like, I disobeyed God. I got to just sit on this rock for the closing shot. He did the Ten Commandments. Now leave me be. That, that was Frag the best out, scene, bitches. right, Graham? <laughs> Frag out. Fuck your golden calf. My, yeah. So, that was pretty cool. We, we There's to a talk gift about like, our favorite scenes because that absolutely is mine. I mean, what a wild way to have... Because I assume that that is also to like end the movie. It's like after the climax is done, they're like, "Well, we got something else for you." <laughs> an like orgy, you slack. know, like we'll give you yeah. An... <laughs> yep. Well, that's that's an excellent example. After after the climax is done, this movie runs on for like it's got like three climaxes. Like what's the, that? What's the that really they got to get to the point of the movie. Yeah. They got to get to the title of the movie and you, the title of the movie is like the epilogue. Yeah. You even could have gotten to the, the exodus where everybody's leaving and happy. Like that would have been a, another solid place to cut and you would have saved yourself mm. like 30 minutes. Do you really, do you have to have the party? Yes. That's, that's the one. That's that the poster for this. I would that's, claim yeah. is the, the, climax of the movie is the parting of the red yeah, sea and the destruction the of ramsey's scene. army um because that's when you really know that they're free i would say that should be the ending of it and maybe do an overture and they gotta call it something else the parting of the red sea yeah that's the name of the movie. well yeah yeah i i it yes it is poorly <laughs> named because it has nothing like it should have just been the story of moses or something like that because yeah, the ten naming it the Ten Commandments locked him in so hard into okay, we have to bring this up. But um, yeah, I. Well, and Grant, that's really interesting that you say that after the Exodus, that should be the end of the movie because, I. Part of me wouldn't feel satisfied with that because I know that's not the end of their conflict with Ramses, like that, it it's. I don't know. I I find it interesting that that's where you cut it because Ramses isn't really defeated until the parting of the Red Sea. Yeah, but we're we're I, already yeah. taking some liberties with the source material. I mean, for example, you know the the whole pushing of Ramses to begin with the the impetus of Ramses like not fucking around and not being like, okay, sure, fine, you guys can leave. It, um, in the you know biblical text it's god hardening ramsey's heart in the movie it's women are bad and are going to poison your mind and yeah, instead of god yeah, hardening was... ramsey's heart it's his um poisonous backstabbing wife in the, the context the of this film who is like sexually charged through the like through the yeah no she wants Moses. Moses it's, yeah her like even when yeah at the end were just really creepy yeah but even when like yeah she was like okay ramsey's on this sword bring me back his blood and he's like yes and it will mingle with your blood and she like raised an eyebrow like mm, i kind of like that kinky <laughs> so yeah, it's it's, yeah it was that's very true i almost i wish they would have just eliminated the female parts because i think it would have just like granted, just, this movie already is not passing the Bechdel test. Let's just get rid of them and get the actual. And Grant, you said it yourself. <laughs> the the two main characters are the most interesting. If you eliminate but, but all I, of them, but there's no. I think I think both of Moses's mothers, his adopted and yeah. his his regular mother, I think are 
are critical to the the foundation of his moral compass and i think interesting characters on their own watching the 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 woman who gave birth to moses and the woman who raised him try and challenge each over over uh challenge each other over what is best for him um was really compelling and once again first half yeah, of the film. that was very interesting no, I, I wasn't expecting i guess that i mean cut out the, the whole that big of a role. oh who gets to marry the the sister um i think that was the that was the part that i wasn't the biggest fan of because yeah it just turned into yeah and i agree is that you don't get that oh there's a reason why ramses is being a dick and it's because god is like manipulating him which is pretty fucked up yeah but um yeah, I want to go back to a comment you guys made of like, yeah, the two main leads, they are the best parts of the movie. But I think every um, mostly every extra, every like uh, secondary character, I think, is really bringing their all to the only thing I would say with Nefertiri is that actress plays the role too modern. She's the one that play that feels the most modern out of everyone else in the cast. Like they're playing like there's a lot of reference to this. And she's playing it like it feels more like a typical like 1950s Hollywood movie, which I think is was an interesting choice. It definitely makes her stand out. Um, well, I think that that's how the character was written. Like the character was written to be an adder in Ramses's bed to poison his thoughts. Well, and I the the character was also written for Audrey Hepburn, which I, I think had yeah. a more subtle approach. And they they opted very 1950s approach, opted not to use her because she wasn't the right body type for the time. Yeah. Um, and and instead uh made the 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 separate casting. Um and I, I think the the campiness she brought was it's iconic. It's a lot of fun. I mean it like really people enjoy. will instantly recognize her performance. I just um, I, I think it stands in pretty stark contract to Heston's and, and Brenner's performance. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think we've lingered a lot on the Ten Commandments. Um, I think uh, we've all had some really good points about how this movie is really great. Um, we've also had some counterpoints, but I think we should move on to A Knight's Tale because I, we don't want this podcast yeah. to be like ungodly long. Fast forward to the time where it was all about Trek, and That's I fair. think that influenced this movie. Yeah, time out. let's <laughs> let's fast forward to 2001 a little bit, which in researching this, I realized might have been the greatest year for movies in the last two decades. Uh, okay, like, what else? Let's got? take let's take a look at uh, you know quick hot read here of the movies that came out in 2001 just like going off the the top 10 we have lord of the rings fellowship of the ring harry potter okay. and the sorcerer's stone fast and the furious spirited away shrek Ooh. donnie darko black hawk down a beautiful mind oceans 11 uh pearl harbor um monsters inc like the That's the 2001 was fucking stacked. Monsters Inc. is the only one that we have uh, on our bracket <laughs> as well. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. Moulin Rouge. I, uh, I mean, a Princess <laughs> a fun. Princess Diaries, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Oh, yeah. There you go. Bridget Jones's oh. Diary, Jurassic Park 3. Like, this was a that fucking sucked, Zoolander. Dude, was this was a fucking horrible. stacked oh. year. Yeah. 2001 that, yeah, probably the point. best year for was film Matrix in the in last there? 20 years i think Matrix, i don't know if matrix, matrix was 2001 matrix was like 98 okay. 99 
But oh, Spy Kids. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> definitely the Spy best Kids. year for movies. You know what? Yeah. Oh man, how did Spy Kids not make the list? Yeah, I mean, well, I I That is a fun movie. I, the reason it did not make the list, well, are you talking about the list of movies for that year or just yeah. the list of our top 10 favorite movies? Because my gripe with it is how come we don't have a machine that immediately makes that in like 30 seconds can make you a Big Mac and fries? From like Dude, a dip. That's the second like, one. No, that's not the second one. That's the first <laughs> or is one. It, I don't that's remember. The first one. Their house gets destroyed, and they yeah. go to like the bunker with, I don't know the, oh, what is his name? It's just uh, yeah, the um, the pothead oh, guy. <laughs> yes. Um, and then yeah, when they're let's just talk about spy yes, kids. When they're there, <laughs> they make a happy meal, and uh, just, that's right. Just you're so right, you guys are aware, listeners. Uh, my entire movie knowledge is basically centered around food. If there's food or something interesting in it, like Goofy movie when he's eating the cha- Tower of Cheesa, very pr- like. Oh, that did look. I mean, good. it's <laughs> I I can always relate a movie back to food. Uh, Parasite, another movie we were kind of talking about that's on the list. God, when they make that, they make that beef dish. Oh. Oh, so okay. yes, I will constantly I bring bring it back to food, but um, no, a Knight's Tale. I mean, you're absolutely right. Well, was is, there any well, fast and, food and tie-ins coming in 2001? <laughs> so remember, you've got all that those movies for context. That um, this uh, leading into 9/11 and just general general disillusionment. Um, a Knight's Tale. No, I mean because there is that a is significant. 9/11 and a Knight's Tale. <laughs> There is not a reference to 9/11. The lenses did look a lot like the towers. I mean, oh my god! Yeah. No, but but um, there and then is. When they fall down, I'm like, mm, uh, a knight's tale is a modern anachronistic fairy tale, and not a fairy tale in the dark brothers grim. It is an origin story of a a peasant becoming a knight and marrying a princess through found family and meeting interesting yeah, characters it has, sports movie, the superhero it, it feels like a superhero it is story. it is a joyful earnest film in a world that is only full of cynicism and frustration afterwards if you especially when you think of uh, a lot of the, the other films that we looked at at the time things like donnie darko black hawk down a lot of the movies that came out after 9 11 mm. all had a world weary cynicism but if you come in and watch a knight's tale it is earnest and joyful from start to finish, from the casting to the the soundtrack to the 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 the, the core story and message of a man being able to change his stars. It is um, just a, a very uh, happy, earnest film, and and I think that's one of the things that a- attracts me so strongly to it, um, especially in an era that was coming on to a, a whole lot of darkness in the world. That's an excellent point, Grant. Um... Yeah, I will say, uh, I don't know if any of our listeners follow Nick Kroll. I know he posted something on Tuesday about the 20 year anniversary of it. So, and so like, it, it is funny that we're, you know, reviewing this within three or four days of, uh, the 20 yeah, year anniversary old. of it. Um, yeah, I, it is a happy go lucky, you know, good feelings. Nobody like even the main conflict doesn't even seem like it. I like it just seems like a nothing sort of thing. I I the the main a nothing sort of thing. No, no, no. I feel it has tense. There's no tense tense moments. moments. 
there's tense moments like because so I saw this for the first time with these guys like what like over a month ago and like I I did feel like tense when they were first showing like um the jousting and everything like just seeing practical effects of like oh they did that you know like that was intense of just seeing a lance like bash against like a helmet I'm like oh I you don't really get that with movies anymore well and all comes like visceral action there when it comes to tense that stock scene i tear up in it every single time i watched i must have seen this movie you know 40 sometimes it is absolutely tense but that's that's a conversation for later down the line but (laughs) it's the it's the moment and, and the problem the the reason i might argue that this movie shouldn't be our number one of all time is because we've already gotten we had already gotten so many sports underdog movies to the point where you could sit in there, even the first time I saw it, I could predict exactly what was going to happen beat for beat because I had seen yeah. all of these movies. I knew, oh, he's in the stocks. There's no way he's going to die or be beheaded or anything like that. Somebody's going to come save him. And when it yeah. ends up happening, it's like, okay, like I knew this was going to happen. But I would argue um surprise and originality does not inherently make a a stronger film sometimes just telling a known story in the best way um you know think of it like greek theater uh you know traditional ancient greek theater people going greek into theater it aren't knew, bad. <laughs> no, but, but they, they knew they knew the way the story was going to end it didn't it didn't matter that they already knew the end and the characters. What they were there for was the the story in between. You'll actually see A Knight's Tale has a lot of elements of traditional Greek theater in it, um, especially looking at uh, Will, William as a, a hero. Um, but I, you know, I I recognize that it is uh, pretty um, uh, <laughs> it's traditional it's in its movie. its storytelling structure. Yeah, but but it is. And and I don't think that's a bad no. thing. I I I think that is its its strength. That earnestness, mm-hmm. the the fluffiness of it, is what makes it great. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is just genuine. Like I wasn't expecting um, the dad character to come in at the end. I feel like if you made this movie now, like you wouldn't have that him reuniting with his dad. Or if you did, like the dad would die or something like that. Like. I was waiting for something like yeah, that. Yeah, he's to on happen. his deathbed and going to like. By, oh, you got to win by the end me. of it. Everybody gets a happy ending, and and you know what? Sometimes that has to be okay. We can't always Absolutely have to have great. the the shitty end game. Half the people die result. But like, they don't sometimes the good guys have to win. <laughs> I need do that. Not use, Which, do yeah, not use Marvel movies because at the end. Yeah, I mean, okay, you know, End Game was. Infinity War, it seems yeah. sad, but yeah, what was Endgame where I mean, there everyone was, comes back? Like Scarlett Johansson dies, and um, but nobody cares. But who's the other? Somebody else dies. Vision? I don't. Maybe. Oh yeah, he yeah dies, but then does like because in Endgame he gets remember. the gem ripped everyone out and he dies. dies. Gosh. Um. So I. <laughs> I don't know. Like I think. Yeah. To me, there was just it felt like there was no stakes. Um, and I, I don't know if that's just because it immediately goes like, because it's, it's not a, it's not a grand story. It's not an epic. It is a a man and his found family just trying to make their way in the world. Like, remember the movie starts with them just trying to get money for food. Yeah. 
It, like th this movie wasn't set up to have stakes. It, it was set up to be a, a found family sports adventure movie. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Grant. It's like, you know, he's going to make it in the end, but like, is it, am I going to be entertained? Is it going to be a good journey getting there? And it's like, you really do like these characters. You fall in love with these characters and that's the important thing. So it, it succeeds in that. Well, and uh, yeah, I will, like I have been saying, you know, it's just a sports movie, but it's the most entertaining sports movie, even though I, I dislike that genre simply because <laughs> it is sword fights, which I, I will argue are the weak point of their whole of yeah i feel they knew that early yes. on there's like what one sword fight and they're like one yeah we're not doing i was gonna save this it's for the end funny. because i was confident that that a knight's tale was gonna blow by and now i feel it's a little bit at risk but yes yes it's a sports movie but i think it is literally a a movie for everyone it's a sports movie it has the fairy tale it has rom-com aspects uh, yes. found family it's got musical aspects a lot of the music in it is diegetic it has dance numbers it, it has uh, Heath Ledger even has a, a acapella song as he rides his horse through the town and meets the woman of his dreams it, it's got the the Shrek after credits farting I, scene. I would just think it, it, like this. That's it a, is, it's got a plus a lot for of, this movie. <laughs> it's it's got a lot of um, film techniques that it borrows from westerns. Think of the 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 eye shots, the close ups of them on the yeah. The horses, I really did like those. the high yeah. noon standoffs. Mm -hmm. Like it is literally a a movie for everyone it was made with that intentionality and i yeah. think the fact that anybody can find something to appreciate or love about it even if they don't love the whole thing this movie is so open and accepting of everyone you get to see that paul I, bettany's ass and yes you like do get of dick and balls like it's oh, a yeah. movie for anyone. Children should be watching. Gr Grand, yeah, you said you, yeah, you know, you did your research. Did you find out when they filmed that that was a closed set, but there no, were like a hundred extras watching <laughs> that? Yeah. Yes, there was, and and we can. I mean, we mentioned Paul Bettany. We can talk about the cast. I don't even think we mentioned this is no, this, Heath Ledger. Yes. This is one yeah, of it's his. It's a very young cast, but like, and yeah, remember, Paul Bettany only had two two even decent sized roles before this this was one of paul bettany's biggest roles at well, the time Alan yeah, uh, is like, like 21 when this movie comes out i mean i all three well uh not Ward. uh who's the other guy you uh you have uh heath ledger paul bettany laura frazier mark addy alan tudyk mark it, it must be mark uh, yeah addy. i think it's mark addy shannon yeah. sossaman the bigger guy but, yeah. yeah i mean the three male leads just exploded after this movie and uh well i he thought you was already pretty established because i can't remember when there's that one movie where he's trying to get the girl and he's dancing they're playing soccer um i don't know i yeah like the teen the teen uh the notebook no. <laughs> yeah it shows exactly what kind of movies we're gonna be watching what is it called 10 things i hate about I, you is it I was gonna, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say how to lose a guy in ten days, but I knew it was one of the number ones. I think it is ten things I hate about He's you. He's in that too, right? No. How to lose a guy in ten? He's days? not. That's Matthew McConaughey, I think. Okay. I mean Heath Ledger going on. You see how good of an actor he is in this. I mean, obviously, yes. uh, Paul Bettany is phenomenal. I mean, talk about like 
what a great Chaucer. And you see the, the, oh, yes. the like Alan Tudyk becoming the voiceover master of Disney from this movie. Yeah. Like, granted, yeah. I will, he was, this he says, was says, super rough around the edges. Like, him, like, barely being able to get out some of his, like, his emotion was almost he was too much. maybe the weaker, yeah. Like, him being overly angry to the point where... That was his one characteristic, and they just rode there for the rest of the movie. I thought, like, his best scenes were, like, the first 15 minutes. And they're like, well, what's his thing? Oh, he's just angry. Well, because the other guy so. gets the romance with the, what, the assistant of... Or the lady in Which waiting. Is, so, romance is a strong. They share a couple glances. Like it's it's not a yeah. A I, I never romance. got that I is didn't tutor that romance watch. to a T. Like I would say that is the most realistic like tutor slash. I uh, I more like like eighteen uh, hundreds, but it, like that seemed more like a realistic medieval romance like developing than what Heath Ledger did. <laughs> But this movie wants nothing to no, do with realistic romance. True. It wields its anachronism as a weapon. It it has electric guitar sounds coming out of horns. It has that the best part about this movie is that it it dances with both. It doesn't say this isn't going to be realistic uh, for medieval times. Like it, I think it it has a lot of and Paul Bettany's Chaucer does carry a lot of that okay well we are we are understanding about this sort of stuff and we want to you know make you feel like you're in the, i i i will not say like it does wear as it's anachronism as a badge i will not say it doesn't care about medieval times or it doesn't care about demonstrating medieval things completely i don't think it's trying to get rid of that because then it could have been set whenever i think it being set in medieval times adds to the story and i think they knew that and they they developed that in certain ways i think it's as interested in medieval times as when you go to that place called medieval times you're like (laughs) we're putting on a show where yeah because while you have been to medieval times they're not going through hovels and like you know getting the thatched roof thing like there isn't there isn't that level of world building. You aren't seeing the interesting, like actual period, period accurate costumes to it. I don't think that this movie doesn't want to be in medieval times. I think there's a reason it was set here. I think they did it surprisingly well, but they also threw in some anachronism that makes it super interesting. It, it makes it accessible. Yeah, it, it makes it. Uh, it gives it. It that romanticizes 90s it in a different sports yeah, film vibe. It romanticizes it in a different way than we've ever seen the Middle Ages romanticized. Medieval period is always romanticized because in reality it fucking sucked. Just like the worst, yeah, the yeah. worst time to be alive. But we romanticize it in all these different ways. But I think it did a really good job of romanticizing in a way that is completely different than we've seen before, and it worked really well. But part of that is knowing the source material you're pulling from. It is doing the research on, okay, there is a period where Chaucer was like just missing for some reason, and that was right before he wrote the Canterbury Tales. So it's right before he's working on these like, um, you know, all these ideas about morality and like how humanity and society need to live together and how that's supposed to work so it's funny that they bring him in and make an anachronistic claim that oh he was just being a fucking douche 
and gambling away all his money being a being, hype man <laughs> being a bad person and then realizing this isn't the way somebody should live how do i express mm. that to other people because there's so many people like me who are just throwing away their money getting into gambling debts all that sort of stuff um so i no oh, go ahead grant Sorry, I was just going to say we we talked about the male cast a little bit. I did want to bring up Laura Frazier and uh, Shannon Sossaman, um, uh, Kate and Jocelyn, the the love interest, uh, uh, because I think both of their roles um, were played masterfully. I I think I love the way Kate's character was written as a a strong feminine character without given masculine traits you know she yeah. she comes in uh isn't forced into being a romantic role with one of the other members even though she's a widow she is um passionate about her work contributes uh in, in important ways to the group yeah. and and becomes just another really charming character she is one of my favorite lines in the whole movie where uh roland asks her are you a blacksmith or a woman she's like sometimes i'm both and that's that's a freaking that's a brilliant line well done for a movie that did struggle at points at writing female characters i think yeah. shannon saved jocelyn's role because another actress coming in without the strength uh and um headstrongness that she brought to it i think another actress could have made her seem sort of um flighty and because uh, yeah, she does she the way she was written she pivots and swings between her opinions and, and moods all the time but that doesn't come across in shannon's acting um which i think really and i was glad she didn't need to be saved at the end i was surprised about that but the yeah. guy doesn't like just kidnap her at the end or something no she doesn't it, it still fails the Bechdel test. It's got room. It's it's got room <laughs> for improvement, but I do I I do think that for their, a film their from two thousand one, well that's not too bad. Yeah, especially relative to a lot of the other uh, films. No, Kate, her character is so great because, yeah, I I think you highlighted a lot of stuff. I was going to say something now. I can't remember what I was going to say about it. Um, but yeah, I I think Kate's a lot more a lot stronger or more interesting a character than the romantic interest. Like I, she just like, yes, she has the points where she just talks about, talks about, you know, feminism and stuff like that. She makes these claims about, you know, being a woman, I, I can do whatever I, or I, I can make my own decisions. Don't talk for me, all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, she is just a carrot for Heath Ledger's character, like raising so that he's running towards his goal. Um, uh no i'm sorry i disagree that, i mean yeah. the, that's that's one of the major plots of the or points of the movie is the difference between count adamar the villain's viewpoint of her as being a a trophy uh, a horse of that's being a, a target <laughs> and heath ledger's interpretation of no she is not the target she's the motherfucking arrow which is a, an actual oh, line yeah. from the film minus good, minus yeah. the motherfucking but she <laughs> is you know she when they're they're in the church it's don't shush me and spare him be gone like she was she was a uh both a challenge and a prize but she did it on her terms they they have a conversation about that when she comes to him in the the uh at the end of the tournament that he almost loses for her you, you know mean where this, they fought this pain yeah okay. yeah where, where she's where, like yeah. this pain was my doing you want to get that clear reward for him doing what she wants 
but on the carrot, on, the carrot on her he turns. gets a little nibble of the carrot. <laughs> yes, I, like I said, no, he wants the whole these points thing where here. she stands her ground, where she does develop as a full-fledged character, but it seems like I don't know. He like <laughs> she is the early catalyst for Heath Ledger wanting to change his stars. I feel like that quote doesn't really gain in importance until he gets and sees his father again. So it's like, are you kidding? Mm. That, that that quote and the whole it's addressed three or four times before Jocelyn's character is even on. It's screen. addressed once. Yeah. Okay. They, no. When, bigger in the later half. He addresses it once when he's talking to um when he's trying to convince them to do stuff. And then it's addressed when he's a child, when his dad says it. Okay, twice beforehand. Then it kind of doesn't really seem to be an issue until he sees his dad again. And he's like, hey, guess what? I changed my stars. Like, it, you lose a little bit of that, like, personal growth and development in the middle. And I feel like they used Jocelyn's character to, you know, so they weren't just beating you in the head with the changing your stars thing. No, because I, and I would disagree because of how strong I think Heath Ledger's character is, you know, he, he is an excellent flawed character, not, not a, a anti-hero or something like that, but he is flawed in the traditional going on that, that Greek hero or hero thing, the traditional Greek hero sense where his biggest strength is also his biggest flaw, his his hubris, his sense of pride is what carries him through the film. His sense of pride is what gets him in trouble and causes his, him challenges in his relationship with Jocelyn and causes him challenges in his relationship with society. His pride is what causes his downfall and he is saved from his pride by his friends and their respect for them. So his, his strongest weapon, his his pride is also his biggest weakness. And you see that mirrored excellently in Count Adamar, an individual who doesn't show love, mercy, or respect for the people around him is just as proud yeah, he's boring as, as William, <laughs> but, but loses because he does not have the, the support of those people around him. They're set up excellently as traditional foils, both uh, making commentary specifically on pride and its its function as in the context of this movie as a man for better or worse um but it is i think framed out really deceptively well for a popcorn film i just feel like they're the goals are the same like if adamar was a young upstart and was trying to also fight to become a knight like i I agree. That's what makes them excellent foils. That's what no, you should have in a hero and a he, villain. They want a same goal, but go about it different ways. That's what makes interesting no, hero-villain dynamics. The they do. They, bo they both want to be the champion jester. They want to be the best. Yeah. That, yeah. Is, that is the worst movie jester. logic. Yeah, and up he, until he sees um, Heath Ledger fight, and he has that conversation with the one guy. How would you beat him? Uh, with a stick while he slept, but on a horse, that man's unstoppable. And he he's given a a a challenge of that championship by Heath Ledger's character. And I think Wally, you said this too. He's a weak character. Adamar's a weak character. He's kind of boring. He's one noted. And that does kind of go back. He serves his well, purpose. He's the Russians. Though. He's the Russians in the Miracle on Ice thing. It's like nobody gives a fuck about the Russians. We don't need to know that much about the Russians. We just need to beat them. Uh, 
exactly. And and, and that's what they do. We don't get Adamar's backstory. Though. We don't need you it. You can't claim that he's a good foil because really he's just a cardboard cutout of a dick um who who is just there to get knocked down. No, the the foil's job is to give a a different um perspective of the the hero to give a main trait he doesn't need to be a fully fleshed out character he needs to give context to the characters we care about and he does that i think well he does it well enough like the problem is like um i wouldn't want the the movie would have to be longer than to develop his character like you want to take more time to develop the hero obviously but, you know, if it was a longer movie, like the Ten Commandments, we got a very good characterization of Ramesses and Moses. And you understood and cared about where they were both coming from. Um, so I think for the purposes of being like a popcorn feel good movie, the villain is evil enough. You get his motivations enough. And that's all you really need. Well, and you the I guess you don't have any I don't have any demonstration of what a knight should be because i feel like they never is like he's trying to change the stars to become a knight but in the end what does that mean like it doesn't mean anything but and no but we learn we learn along with will what it means that to being be a, a knight, knight doesn't actually he, matter it, no exactly then, yes then you understood the plot of the movie the knight don't, don't say you change your stars what? say guess what the stars don't fucking matter. No, by the mm, end of it... I feel, yeah, maybe a more modern take on this movie would have done that. Like, oh, the stars don't really matter. But, but like... You have to scheme and scoundrel your way into getting power and getting the things you want. But, like, But he doesn't. He tries to scheme and he gets caught and punished for it. And what he gets saved by is the Black Prince and the fact that he treated the Black Prince nicely. No, he treated that, the Black Prince like a human or like and, a not noble. He, not he treated nicely. him as another knight. He tilted when he should have withdrawn. He he found men that he earned the respect of and that loved him. And that was that was the point, was that we went on the journey with Heath or with Will, who had this viewpoint of, you know, just wanting to be a knight, wanting to be a champion, not really understanding what that meant. And then over the course of the film, we learn along with him. And at the end, he gives up all the knight stuff. He takes off his armor. He stops going by the fake knight name he adopted. And he is there just himself shouting his name as he bears down the actual so knight yeah, that right. represents <laughs> the rest the of the... Yes, he yeah, is he got the real knighted. knight fighting against a knight in name representing a ruined, corrupt system. He, he is the true knight and is saved by that. When he tries to cheat and play around within the system, he gets caught and punished for it. You're, you're recognizing like the, the goals and, and commentary of the film, but I think you're... I think it fails in some <laughs> respects. That, that's fair. <laughs> I, I think, and I, like I said, I would argue that a lot of sports movies... <laughs> fail in a lot of respects in the same way is that it like there's no humanity to the villains and that means that your end goal doesn't matter as much because 
I, I, Wally, I hate to reference this. It's the Godzilla thing. A Godzilla, it's like an atomic bomb. Like, it's just a big bad that yeah, doesn't but matter. Is that, does that have to? Does... Could have been a black wall, and if Will climbed over the black wall and became a knight, that does late, that have to be bad? This is one of those stories where the villain, the villain like doesn't matter. No, I'm not saying it's hero. bad. I'm just saying that looking at this compared to the Ten Commandments, I think that even though the story of Moses isn't as isn't complete that complete in the Bible, I think the characters are brought to life in really human ways and very intense ways. In more of the beginning of the film. Like I agree with Grant. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Like like we had talked about, yeah, it it like you get that power struggle that, you know, is very Shakespearean or very Greek and epic. Um I I think part of, well, and, and yeah, if we go back to Greek epics and stuff like that, there's never really a villain. The villain is, well, like uh, a modern audience would say the villains are the gods, but in reality, how they saw it is that the villain is the per like the main person is his own villain because, yes. but that, I don't think exactly, the Night's Hill does that, that properly. Will is not his own, Will yes, is never yeah, categorized is, he, as his own no, villain. His it's not the at the it's the most it's the Marty McFly. Don't call me a chicken. <laughs> no, it is, no, it is not. There's like there's that really the, I would the, argue the scene me. where his friends confront him and say, you know, hey, you need to run. They're going to arrest you. And he asks each of them in turn, you know, would you have me run? And in the end, he he his biggest villain, his the thing he's truly fighting yeah. his pride. He loses to, and he gets. Uh, arrested and put in the stocks and he has to be saved from himself by the people that love him. I think that's fucking powerful. And then mm -hmm. they show the healthy way to exhibit that pride, to accept yourself regardless of what rest of society thinks of you, but to still also respect the people around you and the ones who got you there. You know, at the end, he doesn't stand there on his horse and cheer. He immediately runs into the arms of the people he loves to kiss and, and hug and, and cheer with them because it wasn't his victory. It was their victory because he overcame by the end of it, the biggest villain who wasn't Adamar. I agree. Adamar was a shitty villain because he wasn't the main villain. It was fucking Will and his pride. That's the, yeah of his goal of being like a knight like i think it's established like thematically and like in the movie of where he has to take his armor off yes because it's all dented but it shows he is just himself now he is not this like propped up as this knight this is just will going for it being himself so it doesn't what happens it's after a fairy the tale they don't... live happily ever they after. do the shrek fart the it, shrek yeah, fart. It, <laughs> it doesn't it's a fairy tale they live happily ever after the end remember there is no cynicism in this yeah. film at all it ends in intentionally just earnest and joyful and it ends with uh shook me all night long and a fantastic final kiss because they live half happily ever after that's it the end that's not a greek I, I, that's not a sorry greek and epic. i shouldn't i shouldn't have yeah, no, but that's that's fine. I just I like I I want there to be a moral and you know, I I don't I don't know. It's I don't feel like there's a moral. Like it's it's too much of a popcorn flick, I guess. Um and I'm not saying that's bad. I like I said I find this movie incredibly enjoyable. Um minus the uh 
minus the uh weak sword fighting which you know that's my own <laughs> well, my own uh -oh. wally wasn't cool with that hot take <laughs> so uh yeah <laughs> wally yep. wally's like i'm fucking over it bro um no i like at the end of the day grant i i do really like this movie um part of what i've been going over after you telling us how extensive your notes taking process was um was me reevaluating my opinions on these movies because at the end of the day and i think we can start going into our like final discussion on it obviously wally's gone so it's kind of hard if i'm being completely honest i don't i don't know if i'll ever need to watch either of these movies ever again <laughs> that that is very fair and and i you know i will give you there is um uh a uh certainly um elements that that are found wanting in uh, a night's tale i by no means hold it up as a perfect film uh but i i do think it's the well, best which is the way i, it's I your think number it, one film I, yeah so. but it, it, i don't i think it is um i celebrate it because of its flaws because of its simplicity its earnestness its straightforwardness it lacks a lot of the nuance like you talk about it, with its villains it lacks a lot of its nuance with its world building, um, but I I think that the focused, uh, joyful, and accessible approach it takes to its storytelling um, makes it the best film of all time. The, the good guys are good. The bad guys are bad. There's no gray. Um, and love wins in the end. That which that that frustrates that frustrates me. I that doesn't feel human to me. Um, and th but that's fair. I yeah, and that's that's fine. I mean, like part yeah. I well, and I mean, I don't. I will argue. I don't think the Ten Commandments is all that human either. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so funny because the stakes are relatively low for a Knight's Tale. The stakes are like ungodly high for the Ten Commandments. Absolutely. So the, it, the comparisons here. This is a a wild one to make. I do think the Ten Commandments was one of the first movies that I truly felt was epic. Um, yes. it, it, the, the sense of scale, the, the score, which man, I didn't even get a chance to talk about the score. The, the score for 10 commandments was phenomenal. The, the special, the practical effects for the time, um, were fantastic. The, the acting by Heston and, and, and Brenner, um, was, uh, just sublime. It was, um, a, a, uh, fun film. It was a enlightening film to watch for the first time. I don't know if I would call it fun. And and I think A Knight's Tale is 100% just pure fun. Yeah. And that's like, okay, do, and I, I think there is a bias in us to seeing a film like The Ten Commandments towards like, oh my God, this is incredible. And I think, I mean, it happens to a lot of people where it's like, this is the this is the era era where movies are amazing. These these are none no modern movie can compare to that. I think that there are some realistic arguments to why that is, or whether or not that's actually the case. But I mean, there it is it is kind of one note. Like it is, yes, the sets are epic. Yes, they had this they had this ability to get six thousand people in there and they they were willing to throw a bunch of money at it and obviously it was less money um now like i because most cgi i don't know why 
that costs so much money. You'd think that there would be try like a move towards you know at least doing some practical effects, but I think the world's just not big enough. Um, but I, yeah, I think I agree. I definitely agree with you on a lot of the points you made. Like I, I like. I think yeah, it is epic. It is great. I like both of these movies because for the most part, they were practical effects for everything like the the night's tale made sure that i don't think there was any maybe there was a little bit of green screening on like locations for like the big uh castle scenes and stuff like that oh heck yeah no actually like even the uh the shot of the london eye the medieval london eye they built a fake medieval london eye just for that flying overhead shot it wasn't uh cgi at all it was another practical effect for them was it Budapest? It was, yeah, because they were in the Czech Republic. It, Prague, yeah. Oh, or, yeah. Um, so it, that's that's really funny. But I, yeah, I think these end up, if you're looking at sets and stuff like that, these movies do end up being pretty good and comparable because they wanted to even, you know, 50, 60 years apart or 55 years apart, both of them wanted to have this practical look at it. And granted, we hadn't got into the full oh, CGI sort of stuff yet. So it wasn't refined as much. But yeah, I, I, I mean... I think there was a 45-year difference between these movies. <laughs> yeah, right about I it. I just think, yeah. 56, well, 2001. Wally, what would you say? Yeah. Quinn and I have taken opportunities to sort of um, wrap up yes. some of our final feelings on each of the films. Would you care to to share sort of your so take on each to of them? put it in biblical terms? This is like David versus Goliath. You got one of the all time great um, Hollywood movies, and then a very earnest, inaccurate, inaccuristic take on uh, on jousting that's just a sports movie. And at the end of the day, I'm going with something that I was more entertained by, and I usually root for the underdog. And in this case, I. I think I did enjoy A Knight's Tale more. Like, like Ten Commandments is a fantastic movie. Like, you can't say it, it, it's not. But, like, you know, at the end of the day, it's really just chalked up to taste. And um, I feel like, yeah, an underdog story is always going to win out to, <laughs> to me in the end when it comes to uh, comparing the two. All right. Grant? Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, agree with everything Wally said, uh, art is subjective. Our opinions are not. And, uh, Knight's Tale is definitely the better film. <laughs> I, I said it's the movie I enjoyed more. I didn't say it was the better film. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, cause that's yeah. Wally, Wally in our discussions was like, well, I'm looking at it as what did I enjoy more? Like, it, and I think that there's a great way to look at it. Um, I, Wally, when you were off, I kind of told Grant, I don't think I ever have any dis- need to watch either of these movies again. Like, but I think the thing with a night's nice I think it would be easier just to like pop in and watch again. Like I could see myself watching this several more times. And then like the 10 commandments, it's like, yeah, that's once in a while. Like I remember watching it like every couple of years for like Easter and that was it. It's not something I'm like, I just, I got to watch 10 commandments right now. <laughs> so my yeah my like we said at the beginning my dad watched 10 commandments every single easter and i have a negative connotation with it from childhood in that he was 
take over the TV, like the one TV we had, and say, okay, we have to watch this. And I'd watch, I think I've seen the scene where she almost gets crushed so oh, many gosh. goddamn times. And and it's yeah, also, I, the it's the length, too. It's like I'd rather watch what A Night's Tale is like, what, an hour and a half? I'd rather watch that than like it, a four-hour like epic. Half, but it's, it's like two hours and ten minutes. But it doesn't feel yeah, like it that flies because by. you enjoy it the whole time. You're invested. But yeah, m- like my dad, he tells me, oh, I won't watch Ten Commandments anymore because like with commercials on TV and everything, that's over five hours. <laughs> and that's well, and Wally, what did you end up doing? I got him the oh, 4K restoration of Ten Commandments, so now he doesn't need to worry about the commercials. <laughs> well, nice. and like Ten Commandments, I mean, it's epic. Like Martin Scorsese talks about this being one of his favorite films of all time. Like it, it is truly a a really important film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's heavy-handed in some ways, obviously. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I don't think I will ever, (laughs) unless I'm forced to either of these two again, which I mean, that's, that's the interesting part. Are you abstaining from picking? No, 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 no. but I like going forward. I think this is going to be the interesting part of the podcast for me is that all of my movies are movies. I will not only not watch or i will not just watch more than once i will like actively try and watch it with other people to get them engaged in it and get them interested in it um and i don't have any compulsion to do that with these two obviously grant this being his number one choice it is the one thing that he like this movie was like like as soon as he said let's watch a movie it was like oh let's watch a nice tale while he hasn't seen that yet it was it was was very clear that definitely influenced my my pick um and you know what at the end of the day yeah it's sword fighting's really shitty <laughs> um that should be on the back of the dvd cover <laughs> don't don't buy this if you want good sword play stay for the shrek fart at yeah. the end <laughs> stay <laughs> there's an after credit sequence it's the first of its kind um well that's actually a lie because actually the ten commandments also <laughs> yes I don't know if you guys see it. Uh, it's pretty great. I did not when see Moses, an after credit scene. Oh, man. Moses I feel like sits on that rock oh. and just farts to death. <laughs> Moses farts, and uh, Ramses is actually, like, in hell getting, you know, beaten up by Satan. And he smells it, and he goes, oh, my God, that's horrible. Moses! Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does, like, con... Uh, oh man, yeah, I'm gonna have but... to go back and rewatch the whole thing. It's gonna be like four hours. Yeah, no, you have to watch the scene, whole thing you know what, okay. for it to make sense at the end. Yeah, and I don't know how they did this, but even in the original movie, you have to sit through the entire thing. It's like a pressure plate or something, but it's for film. And that if you just skip ahead to the end, it won't run that after credit sequence. So it you knows. have to watch yeah. it second one all the way to the end of the movie before you see this and i would say you know that satan's satan looked so real i was terrified of how satan looked in that after credit sequence it was horrifying um i think it was the best depiction of satan i've ever seen yeah i don't um, i don't know how they got chuck norris cast for that role but yeah chuck norris before he was born wasn't even born yet, <laughs> i was gonna say it was Cesar de la mill like this movie killed him um, Yes, Cecil B. DeMille actually the played the the devil, and he, like, 
ripped his face into three different faces because that's the depiction of the devil. I mean, I don't know if you guys have read Dante's Inferno, but it's uh yeah, he's eating Judas and then he's also oh, like okay. kicking um I can't remember. It's like Pontius Pilate, Judas, and another dude. Jesus. Um <laughs> yes. Satan is eating Jesus. You heard it here, <laughs> folks. First folks, yeah. Whoever that third guy is, and he's just some random dude that was mentioned in the Bible. Um, it's actually Jesus. Um, so yeah, just be aware. But I <laughs> in our in our bracket, uh, a knight's tale is moving on. Hell yeah. Thank thank goodness. I would have been real, real sad if it got knocked out in the very first round. No, I I mean I don't think yes, it can beat I, anything then if or it it can't be stopped then if it wasn't able to beat yeah this movie. What wait, <laughs> no, I thought the Ten Commandments the Ten Commandments ended up being a lot more interesting and a lot more compelling, but I, you know, I did tell Grant again. Yeah. I would agree. Oh. I came into this thinking that it was gonna be an easy win and yeah, I thought I, it was gonna be boring. I, it was not. No, I myself, especially after watching some of the documentaries and seeing the passion that the people had who made the Ten Commandments had for it, um, like it, it was a, a definitely a, a moving film and and one that I enjoyed more than I thought I would. It just, it's so long and it loses it loses the um, I and I know you and I disagree on this point, Quinn, but it loses the the human element that I connect to. It does. Because I'm no, I'm, I'm a two-dimensional yeah, human stuff. who can only feel one thing at any one given time. <laughs> so uh, that's where <laughs> the, the knight's tale with just one emotion throughout. That's that's why I like it compared to Ten Commandments, where you have to feel lots of things. But I feel like the Ten Commandments, the first half of it is a lot more human and a lot more gray than the second half. Yeah, the second just half good is and bad. Yeah. Versus mm-hmm. evil. So I find it really funny that in that you liked the more human like back and forth, you know, power struggle. And then <laughs> for a night still, you're like, no, it has to be the good guys gotta win against the bad guy and get the girl in the Absolutely. That's the way it has to end. You can have interesting stuff in the middle, but it's gotta end that way. Um, and speaking yeah. of ending, I think we're making our way towards it now. Uh, Ryan, where can uh, people find us at? So we're on Instagram at boat pod. Um, so B O A T underscore pod. Yep. That's not uh, boat B O T E or, or boat B O O T. Uh, no. you know, other phonetic spelling. Unfortunately, of best of all time kind of locks you into an acronym grant. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we're that uh you can find us at uh the best of all time podcast on all of your podcast players um i will say so a knight's tale is moving on and next uh next month it will be going up against whatever the winner of the host so the bong joon ho movie uh versus 1917 oh my god yeah both depressing movies (laughs) well Yes, I in a way, I think 1917 has a lot of very, in, I mean, obviously, it's incredibly interesting and well shot and interestingly shot. I actually haven't seen the host yet. Uh, so I needed an excuse. It's to the see best it. monster um, movie. Yeah, that's, that. that's what I'm excited most about is I'm going to get to see tons of excellent movies that I've never seen before. And I'm I'm real glad we're doing this together. Well, and yeah, I do. I we might have to edit one section because I'm really uh, 
one of my picks was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I think I might have to switch that to Django. Oh, okay. Django, I, I really, I know who... I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet. Grant, I don't think you've seen it either. I have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I have seen Django. Mm-hmm. I and really so enjoyed Django. I want, I want you guys to experience new movies, but... I think I might end up having to switch it to Django because Quinn, all every this is like yeah, this is the best of all time. This isn't about oh, this is a good movie you should watch. Like, sure, there's an no, element of that, but you better no, bring like, the heat because I'm bringing the fucking heat. I mean, you see yeah, my bracket. What is going to take a night's tail down, man? Okay, um, no, but I yes, I I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought it was so great. I thought it was a very interesting way to tell that story, but um. Janko is just so. Every time I see a clip of Janko, I'm I'm laughing my ass off at the absurdity of it. So yeah, um, we don't have too many Westerners yeah. either. So what? Like Western? Yeah. Movies? Okay, not Westerners. <laughs> yeah, Western <laughs> movies. All... Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, we don't. But I. Is Twelve Angry I mean... Men not a Western? No, no. it's, it's, it's titled okay. like a Western. <laughs> It's a court drama. drama. Yeah, I know it's nothing just about these films. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's that, so funny. That's a very good one. All right. Robocop? Well, I'm excited to <laughs> yeah, do this Yeah, so in the modern day yeah, West, that is Detroit. I'm excited for uh, all the people at home to be able to hear our uh, true factual opinions that mm-hmm. are uh, completely, completely correct. Boat out. And, uh, yeah, let us let us know what you think about this podcast format. Um we in the past have been a lot more absurd with our podcasting so if you want more of that we can also do that um we need intermissions we need an intermission or at least a uh fake ad read like we have been doing yeah we can Um, mix it up with some fart fart dildo fart sort of stuff like well done that's not really uh, fart fart dildo fart was a a very short-lived bit i (laughs) i wish you wouldn't bring it up as much as you do because it always seems like that's your favorite bit we did and it's so good fart fart dildo fart like you weren't even selling anything you were just we were just saying that over and over again into the microphone and then laughing hysterically um i yeah uh i don't know i don't it seems interesting to me that you would go fart fart dildo fart and not like fart 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 dildo queef no fart um queef <laughs> yeah I, this is the way we're ending the podcast we're gonna be a little, uh, heady at the start <laughs> and then end it with this conversation thanks people this is the uh yeah this is the after credit sequence of Moses. Moses. <laughs> there you go Moses. instead of a cold okay, open um, we have a cold exit so here we go here's the the best sign off that we can have anchors away <laughs> we are the boat podcast so we now our exit is going to be anchors away how does that sound fart fart dildo fart